Sean, come on up. Well, good morning, church. As uh, Pastor Jeff just alluded to, Ezra making his worldwide debut this morning and uh, before we get started, I, I do just want to uh, take a moment um, to express both Tiffany uh, and, and my gratitude to you, uh, our church family. Uh, we have been um, just blown away by y'all's prayers and support and love and, and generosity. And um, it's also providing a, a pretty cool teaching moment for us because uh, over the last few weeks, we've had people come to the house and bring food and just stop by to visit and bring gifts and our daughter kind of wakes up and she's like, who's coming over today? You know, she's just expecting. Um, but what's cool is she, she asked the question, hey, why, why are all these people bringing us food? And what it's allowed us to do is to, to begin teaching her how God's family cares for one another and what, what the church looks like. And so really, like, thank you from the bottom of our hearts because it's uh, providing an opportunity for us to even teach our daughter what it looks like to love one another, to serve, to be generous, to be selfless. And it's just been great. Uh, she loves being a big sister. Um, she is super protective of her brother. She's not the most gentlest person in the world. Um, sometimes I'm worried she's going to snap his head off because she loves to kiss him. And she just grabs him with two hands and violently brings his head to her mouth. And, but it's been good. It's been good. The adjustment's been good. Um, and we're thrilled and just excited. Uh, Jeff asked me um, a few weeks ago uh, if on this day that I would preach and just think about that for a second. If you're in a dark room, you can take a flashlight and put a beam, a spotlight of light around the room, right? If you're in a lit room like this, there's no dark light. Like there's nothing that's going to like put a dark spot around, right? Once, once that change has happened and you're in the light, you're in the light. Paul talks about it like this. He says, we are a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. He goes on to say in Ephesians that we have to put off our old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And we need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on our new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. There is a spiritual overview effect, if you will, that happens in our lives. This fundamental shift of perspective. We see life differently when we meet and encounter Jesus. And it's in that context that I want you to consider John's question. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So John, in this moment, he's having a little doubt. It's creeping in, right? But I want you to think about the scenario here, right? John, who spent much of his life, this free spirit, sort of child of the desert, probably slept more nights under the open stars than he did inside of a room, for the first time is kind of caged up and confined. Some scholars believe that he spent about a year in jail before ultimately his death. And so think about that year, day after day, just eating away at the spirit and the personality and the person that John is, right? And so day after day, he's asking himself these questions. Is this, is this really it? Is this, is this what's supposed to happen? Jesus, are you, I thought this was going to be a little different, right? There's doubt that's creeping into John's mind. I want to ask you, like, how do you handle that when life just doesn't happen the way that we plan, right? Like, is there sources of doubt in our life that sometimes creep into 
our minds? Is it maybe the job that you have, the career path that you're on? Do you ever wonder, like, God, is this really the job that you have for me? Or maybe the spouse you're married to, are you ever wondering, is this, is this the person you decided really wanted me to marry? Or is this the family you really wanted me to raise? Or is this the home that you wanted me to buy? Is this the city that you wanted me to live? Is this really how life is supposed to happen? God, why the cancer? Why the loss? Why the suffering? Right now, I have a, a good friend of ours, and she's watching her dad pass away. And, sorry, wasn't planning on getting emotional talking about this, but a great man. Great man, in his 60s. Right? One, of the, one of the largest churches in our area started decades ago in the living room of his house. And he and his wife served that church faithfully for decades. And they retired just this past year. And without any really question or, or re- without really any clear answers, the questions just po- kept piling up. He's getting sick. He's not eating. He's losing a ton of weight. He has no energy. And all signs point to cancer, but the doctors can't figure it out. The blood work doesn't show that. He's getting bone marrow uh, getting bone marrow taken, tested, like nothing is showing up. And unfortunately, he's now on a ventilator and he's near the end of his life. It just doesn't make sense, right? And these, these doubts, these questions, they, they creep in. And, and I'm sure John is kind of feeling this same thing. But here's what I love about John's question, right? And this is just a side note. John asks the question, he goes directly to Jesus. He doesn't send his guys out to go, post something on social media and see what the world thinks about it. He doesn't ask his guys to go get a newspaper so he could read what the media is saying. He sends his guys to go directly to Jesus and nowhere else. And um, He asks Jesus this question, and Jesus, in his response, he says, look, this is, this is it, John. It's, it's happening the way it's supposed to happen. I'm the guy you're looking for. I'm the guy you're talking about. I'm, I'm giving the blind their sight. I'm helping the lame walk. I'm healing lepers. I'm making the deaf hear. I'm even raising the dead. And look, I'm preaching the good news to the poor. And this answer is twofold. One, because it affirms that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. But two, this is, this is a almost verbatim quote of an Old Testament prophecy of what the Messiah was going to do. So when John hears this answer, it confirms in his mind that Jesus is the Messiah, but it also would have resonated with some prophecy that he would have known about. So it's kind of like a double answer for John. And then Jesus offers in verse 6 this very tender rebuke, this very gentle warning. He says to John, he says, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What Jesus is telling John in this moment is, Look, John, right now, <laughs> this is about me. It's about my kingdom, right? I know you have doubts, I know you have questions, but you did your job and you did it faithfully. But right now, this is about me and my kingdom that I'm building and I'm establishing. And if I'm John and, I, and I'm hearing this and, and I met Jesus and my life's been changed by Jesus um, and I see the world differently and I told my people that he needs to increase and I need to decrease, I have to imagine that he was okay in hearing that response. I have to imagine that he didn't lower his head. That he, In fact, I have to imagine that he was probably rejoicing. The work of God was being done. And so in this text, I think there's three things that we learn about God's faithfulness. And that's really what I want to point out today. Um, the first thing is this, is that God is faithful to himself. 
God's faithful to himself. It says in Psalm 119.90, he says, Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. And let's just go back, right? Let's go back in scripture and just look at how God kind of breathed this world into existence. The very first verse in our Bible tells us that in the beginning, who? God. So important. Not in the beginning me. Not in the beginning you. In the beginning, God. He created the world, and after every day and a new part of his creation he made, he declared it good. He created day and night and declared it good. He created the birds and the fish and the animals on land and declared it good. He created man and declared it very good. This was all part of God's plan. It was the Garden of Eden. It was this unification of heaven and earth. There was God's creation, and there was the Creator, and they existed in harmony. There was shalom, and there was peace, and this is how God intended the world to be. But of course, humanity's sin, as you know, the story wrecked that plan, but it didn't take God long to be faithful to his plan. And in uh, Genesis uh, chapter three, we start seeing that God is beginning the plan to restore creation back to himself, right? We see the very seeds of the gospel being planted in Genesis chapter three, as he's talking to Adam and Eve about their sin. We are now living in a time where that plan is unfolding, as we've learned in uh, our study in Revelation, that there's ultimately going to be a new Jerusalem, a new city where heaven and earth will be reunited again, where the creator and the creation will be one the way that God had intended. This is God's plan for his creation. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan in this story. And, and what's happening here is with Jesus' response, he's telling John, John, look, in this moment, it's not about you. In church, if we're going to be a church that says we want to make Christ preeminent in all things, as you heard Pastor Jeff share earlier, that means that we take a back seat to the plans of God. That means that he's first. He increases, right? We decrease. He becomes greater. We become less. And, and this, is, this is important because this is what Jesus is telling John, but this also kind of speaks to this spiritual overview effect, this change in perspective that we have, this life that we live in our salvation and sanctification, that we see life differently, that we know that we belong to God. And because he's faithful to himself, we can have peace and joy. In this moment where John's doubting, he could have peace and joy. I love the answer to John's question because uh, Jesus could have been annoyed by it. He could have just simply said, yeah, John, I'm the guy. And left it at that, right? But he didn't. He went on to point out the work that God was doing through him. The healing and the restoring, the redeeming that was being experienced all because of God's faithfulness. This is who God is. He's generous and gracious. He's merciful. And he wants to see his creation restored. And so we see in this text that God is faithful to himself. We also see that God is faithful to his people. In Deuteronomy 7, 9, it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. I like that Jesus, when he's asked by John this question, he doesn't, he doesn't obliterate John. He doesn't, you know, chastise him for having doubt. He doesn't condemn him. He doesn't, no. And if you read the story, Check out what Jesus does. You keep reading in Matthew 11, and you realize that Jesus sort of goes on to eulogize John. He spends the next part 
of this story praising John for his character and his work. He says in verse 11, he bestows this honor on John and says that among those born amongst women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. See, Jesus is faithful to his servant, John. He honors John. And what we need to realize is that Jesus is the embodiment of God. We understand who God is by looking at the life of Jesus. We understand what God would say and how God would act by looking at how Jesus talked and what Jesus did, right? And in this moment, Jesus honors John by speaking of his faithfulness. And if he's going to faithfully honor John in this moment, I believe God will faithfully honor his people as well. Why? Because you're his. You're his children. He is our heavenly father. This is consistent with what we see from God throughout scripture. Going all the way back, just kind of walking through sort of a, the high points of some of the biblical history. We see, like I mentioned before, that God was faithful to provide redemption even after Adam and Eve sinned. Starting the process of that in Genesis 3. God was faithful to protect those who he loved and obeyed. Who, who loved and obeyed him despite wiping out the earth with a flood. God was faithful to create a nation of Israel and establish a people that would be his. God was faithful to deliver Israel from captivity and slavery in Egypt. God was faithful to provide Israel the king they desperately asked for. Time and time again, God was faithful to protect his people, provide for their needs, and give them hope for the future. God is faithful in sending his son Jesus, our Messiah, as the final atoning sacrifice. And God is faithful to establish the church and empower all believers with the Holy Spirit, a helper and an intercessor for us. Throughout Scripture, we see that God is undoubtedly consistently faithful. Just to wrap John's story up here, in, in Matthew chapter 14, um, John is killed. Uh, you know, Herod beheads him. Um, you're probably familiar with the story. Uh, and John's life ends in Matthew 14. And after that event happened, the scripture said that Jesus heard news of this and Jesus went to a, a desolate place, quiet place to pray. Now, think about the human element here, right? John wasn't just some guy. He was a friend of Jesus. He, he did ministry, right, for Jesus. This was someone Jesus had a personal connection with. There's uh, church tradition holds that they were actually related in some way. Most people say they were cousins. So Jesus intimately knew John and hearing the loss of life, he goes to a quiet place and he would do what any other person would do during this time. He was probably grieving the loss of a friend, probably celebrating the life of a person who uh, dedicated his life faithfully to the Lord, probably thanking God for uh, John and his ministry and the lives that were touched by John. And out of this moment, people hear where Jesus is. And so all of a sudden a crowd starts to develop. And look, I don't know about you, but when you lose someone that you're close to, I don't know if like personal interaction is the first thing you want, right? But what Jesus starts to do, Scripture says, is he starts to heal people because God's faithful to his people. He starts meeting people where they have need, and, pe and this crowd's getting larger and larger, so large that the disciples are like, look, Jesus, like, it's getting late. These guys need to go home. They need to eat, right? And Jesus says, I got this, right? And with a few pieces of bread and fish. He multiplied that out and he provided food for people. And he didn't provide it in scarcity. He provided abundantly because he's showing people what the kingdom of God's like. And so we see that even in John's end of life, we see this faithfulness of God to his people. And the question that I have for you is, 
just to consider is where has God been faithful in the small and big stuff in your life? We're going to have a moment of singing at the end here. And one of the things that I want to just encourage you to do as you're responding in worship is to, to respond to the answer to that question, right? Where has God been faithful to you in the small things and the big things in your life? If you're new to this uh, Christian uh, world, if you just started following Jesus a few years ago, if you ask anyone who's been following Jesus for a long time uh, to give you a story of God's faithfulness, I guarantee you they have a story of that random check that showed up in the mail, right? When they were staring financial crisis in the face. Or uh, they can have a story of, of food that just kept showing up on the table, even though their pantry was empty. Or a story of a person that God placed in their life to, to help them through a tough time. Or just relationally a connection that they needed in that moment. We have these stories because our God is faithful to his people in the small things. But he's also faithful to people and the big stuff in life. And the greatest way he showed his faithfulness was through his son, Jesus. Our daughter, to give you a little bit of timeline here, uh, we jumped into the adoption process back in February. Uh, and what that means is we submitted all the paperwork and officially got on the list. And end of February, we were a potential placement family for any birth mom who wanted to go through the organization that we were with and place their child. And so uh, back in February, to kind of get our daughter ready for this, we began to sort of plant the seeds. Like we just didn't want to show up with a kid, right? You gotta, she's four. So we kind of began to plant the seeds um, of what potentially would happen. And one of the ways we would do this is during our prayer times, we would ask her, hey, do you want a, a baby brother or baby sister? She's like, oh yeah, I want that. So, well, um, we're going to pray to God uh, and just let him hear our hearts. And so uh, some of the sweetest little four-year-old prayers that um, we can remember, but she would, you know, some nights it was, you know, God, uh, I pray that you would give us a baby brother because dad needs a buddy, right? And then some nights it was, God, I pray that you would give me a baby sister because I like sisters, right? And then some nights it was, I can't decide, God, so I pray that you would give us twins, one of each, and I would, God, take that, we like, rebuke, rebuke that, we, we take that away, we don't, trying to end my life early. And so, so we, would, we would have fun with that. But she, she would begin the process of praying, right? And so she's building kind of this anticipation that, man, God might, God might answer this prayer. And then May 24th, we get a phone call. Actually, we're on vacation, first day of vacation. It's our social worker. And she's like, hey, there's this possibility. It looks like it's going to happen. And so, you know, you go on vacation to relax a little. And all of a sudden, that's on your brain the whole week. And anyway, Ezra's born June 5th. And then by God's grace, on June 19th, Father's Day, we get, to, we get to take him home. But in all of this, what was really important for my wife and I um, was we wanted to adopt with this one, adoption. We wanted to, to have another child in our family that looked like our daughter. And so our daughter has brown skin, and so we wanted this new baby. That was kind of our prayer, that, that God would work things out. And, and the reason was this, okay, Jade... Look, if, if God didn't, if we were just a family of three and, and we go through all this and God's like, this isn't the plan, we would have been a-okay. Like, we loved our little family, okay? And Jade, uh, her happiest times were with mom and dad, all right? So she undoubtedly knows that she's loved, all right? But within all of us is this desire for belonging, this deep desire to be part of something, right? It's why we gravitate towards political parties or sports teams or movements. It's because we want to identify with people 
that remind us of ourselves. And so in this adoption process, uh, it was our desire that Jade would be able to see someone else in her family that reminded her of herself, sort of to affirm and solidify that you belong here, okay? And God, as he would have it, uh, allowed us to adopt a beautiful brown baby boy, Ezra. And one of my favorite things that I hear Jade say, so we have some social worker visits that are just kind of part of the deal, um, follow-ups after the baby's placed. And we had one this past week, and she's all excited, and she's introducing you know, Ezra to the social worker and telling her all about Ezra. And she says, this is uh, my baby brother. God gave me a twin. He looks just like me. And her face just lights up, and she gets so excited. Um, and I share that because it's a reminder to me that in Christ, God gave us belonging in his family, right? And through his faithfulness to his people, sometimes, sometimes we forget that, right? We forget that in the family of God, we belong. And it's not our own merits that cause this, but it's the grace and love of Jesus that allows us to have that belonging. And so if you're here today and just needed to hear that reminder, just remind yourself of the belonging you have in Christ. That when God sees you, he sees his son. When he looks at you, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees righteousness because that's what was imparted to us when Jesus died on the cross. And, and that is, man, that is such a big piece to God's faithfulness to his people. That we have a place in his family. That we have belonging uh, from Jesus. And so in the small ways and the big ways, God is faithful to his people. And then finally, in the third uh, act of faithfulness here that we see, God is faithful through his people. Hebrews 13, 21 says this, May he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I think an amazing component to God's faithfulness is that is most often delivered through his people. So if we go back through just kind of the quick points that I, I laid out for us a few minutes ago of how God's been faithful throughout Scripture, what you'll see is that in the flood, God used Noah to deliver his protection. Uh, God uses Abraham to establish Israel. God uses Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Rahab to deliver his people to Canaan, the promised land. God gave Israel kings like Saul and David and Solomon. And though all of those individuals were flawed, they were used by God to preserve his nation. God used Isaiah and Jeremiah to speak the promises of a better tomorrow and to instill hope. God used John the Baptist to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. God uses Jesus to defeat sin, death, and hell, offering all of humanity the hope of salvation. And look, God wants to use his church to continue to show the world what his faithfulness looks like by being people who bring love and justice and mercy and peace to the hurting, to the broken, to the suffering, to the oppressed. And God's faithfulness to us, his faithfulness also runs through us and it gives us a purpose. Just want to say this, and, and this isn't the only example, but it's the one that's the loudest right now. So um, I am celebrating and, and thankful for the decision in Roe v. Wade that the Supreme Court um, laid out, right? Um, I, I'm celebrating because it's going to protect the lives of these babies who are unborn. And, and there's something to be celebrating there. It's also um, celebrating because it sort of uh, is, is years of labor by the church 
on the front lines praying and advocating for the lives of these unborn. But here's my fear. My fear is this, is that if we were in this thing just to get a victory or a win, and we're not ready to love these mothers and these future children that are going to be born as, as loudly and as aggressively as we were to overthrow Roe v. Wade, then we failed. We failed. God wants to use his church to administer love to the broken. He wants to use his church to bring peace to the hurting. So in areas where there's great dysfunction, where there's suffering and where there's oppression, those areas are most ripe for the gospel. And it's our work that helps deliver this message. And so by God's grace, I pray that he would allow us to do these things, that his faithfulness would work through us. Um, we're going to close by, by singing a song. So Pastor Jeff, if y'all would maybe come up and get ready for that. Um, I know this is a song that many of you, if you grew up in, in church, have heard. Uh, a song by Horatio Spafford. Uh, older hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Um, give you a little bit of backstory on that song, which also is a popular backstory, so I'm probably not telling you anything new. But uh, Spafford and his wife, Anna, had a son and four daughters. And in 1871, they had a pretty tragic year. Uh, their son died of scarlet fever. And a few months later, um, all of their possessions uh, burnt up in a fire. And so a lot of the things that they owned were gone. A couple years after that, uh, Spafford sent his wife and daughters uh, ahead of him on a trip to go visit uh, Europe. And as they were traveling overseas, their boat struck another boat. And unfortunately, as the boat sank, the only survivor was his wife, Anna. His four daughters died tragically in that moment. So Anna is in Europe. Spafford is on his way to go meet her. And as he is pretty much living out like a modern-day Job here, uh, story of Job, as he's, as he's traveling across the seas, uh, he's told by the captain, this is sort of the location where the accident happened. And kind of overstricken with grief, um, of realizing what was going on, it's in that moment and in this place that he was inspired to write the lyrics for this hymn. And Barnabas Piper, as he was talking about this story, he said this, he said, unlike many heartbreak songs, it focuses less on what was lost and more on where hope can be found. I love that. And this song didn't exist for John the Baptist, (laughs) but when his guys came back and told John what Jesus said, I can only imagine that John would have sang these lyrics as well. Because John would have known that it focuses less on what was lost and more on the hope that can be found. Piper goes on to write that no doubt Spafford was shattered by the loss of his daughters, but his heart turned to the faithfulness of God in the midst of loss and the work of Jesus to rescue sinners. The hymn does not diminish or gloss over pain and tragedy, but rather proclaims that God is present in them and greater than them. Look, because of God's faithfulness, we have a place in his family and a purpose in his mission. And for that, we need to rejoice. And as we sing this song, I want to encourage you to maybe do a few different things as you're singing these words. Maybe you need the space to ask some of those tough questions. Just like John did, right? Jesus allowed John the space to ask the question. Right, But John went to Jesus. Maybe you need the space to ask Jesus some of those questions that are causing 
you to doubt and maybe he will answer you in this moment. Maybe some of us just need to reflect on God's faithfulness. Recognize how he's faithful to you in your life, to the friends and family in your life. Recognizing how he uses people in your life to deliver his faithfulness. Recognizing how he wants to use you in the lives of others to deliver his faithfulness. And hopefully all of us, because of that new perspective we have from encountering Jesus, can celebrate now the life that we have in Christ and his Piper wrote, we can focus more on where hope can be found and dwell less on what was lost. So would you please stand? I'll pray. As we conclude this prayer, we're going to sing this hymn as a way to respond. Father God, I thank you for your faithfulness to us in all things. I thank you that um, we have a God who is a heavenly father who loves and is generous and is gracious, who's patient, who's selfless. And through the life of Jesus, we get to see uh, that heart of our loving Father, but we also get to see um, how you want us to live. So God, as we just consider these words, I don't know where people are at. I don't know uh, the hearts in this room, but God, I pray it would move us to a place of worship, of recognizing you as God that you're sovereign and in control, that you're good and can be trusted, recognizing that our salvation is from Jesus and that your faithfulness to us, you uh, included a way for us to be adopted back into your family. You gave us a place of belonging, but you also wrote for us works to do, things to, to live out, a purpose here on this earth so that other people can experience your goodness as well. God, help us to be more and more like your son, Christ. Thank you for the love and the patience that you give us each and every day.
is amazing because of the, the spiritual overview effect that we have a new heart and the presence of your spirit to even be able to say in the face of any difficulty but really in the face of calamity we have the ability and the grace to say it's well with my soul Father I'm thinking of John the Baptist in a cell and how that cell was a, a figurative cell for his mind as well as Sean described and and, and the pressing in on the thoughts and the doubts to where he finally had to say, are you the one? And it's, we hear the disciples say that when Jesus is asleep. Don't you care? But Lord, I ask that you would have this promise ring in our minds over and over and over again, that you are faithful. You are faithful to yourself. You are faithful to us. And you're faithful through us. What wonder and what glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. We're reminded again, church, that we have a commission. As the Lord works his faithfulness through us, that's his commission to us. Let's be reminded of Jesus' words to all of his disciples, including us, when he says, Go therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Also, real quick, forgot to uh, announce this. This is Matt and Maria.